Well, allow me to introduce our conference speaker today. If you do not know Steve, if you've never heard him speak before, then you know we're in for a real special treat. He always does a great job, as I've mentioned already. This is his, I think, fifth time that he has spoken here at Calvary Bible Church, and he always does a great job. Steve Herzig is the director of North American Ministries to the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry in New Jersey. He is a Jewish believer who was raised in Orthodox Judaism. After graduating from college in Ohio, he visited his sister and brother-in-law in California. While there, he attended Friends of Israel, who now works for a Bible study, and shortly after trusted in Jesus as his Messiah, the Meshua, the Christ. The following year, he relocated to California to fellowship and work with Christians there. In 1977, he was invited by Friends of Israel to participate in their summer missionary training program in Atlantic City, New Jersey, where he met his wife, Alice. Steve was appointed director of North American Ministries in 1996 and now works from the Friends of Israel home office. He speaks at conferences here for the fifth time and at churches all around. He's a very in-demand speaker. He is an adjunct teacher at two Bible colleges. He contributes to Israel My Glory, which is a magazine. If you do not know that, it is pumped out by uh, Friends of Israel. He has made a Christ in Passover video, which is distributed by Friends of Israel. He has written two books on Jewish culture and customs. Steve and Alice have four adult children and six grandchildren. If you would, please join me in welcoming Steve Herzig to the stage. Get it. Not fine. Thanks, Pastor. I don't know who that person is, really. <laughs> it sounds it always sounds better than what it actually is. I've lived it, and, well, I appreciate it. I just appreciate the opportunity you've given me to come uh, and looking forward to it. I want to give you an assignment right away. Uh, they're working on the computer, so I might or might not have slides. It doesn't matter one way or the other. Here's the assignment. What I'm going to talk about this morning is I've chosen seven chapters of the Bible. Seven chapters of the Bible to tell a story. We know that the theme of this year's 54th, 54th, Herb, it's good to see you. I, I, Herb and I go back at least four others. Uh, and I, I remember, it's great, just great to see you. But proclaiming the good news, proclaiming the good news. How do you proclaim the good news? We have missionaries here. Uh, I can tell you there's not many churches who do what this church does. I've said it before. And you have the opportunity, as wherever the tables are, this way, I think they're that way, go to those tables. Uh, you'll learn what people are doing to proclaim the good news. Uh, and God has burdened and called people to establish organizations that uh, n not just for the sake of an organization, but to to get the word out, whether they're young people or whether they're here in this country or a different country, or translating the scripture, all different callings, all proclaiming the gospel. So important. But I want you to proclaim the gospel. It's not because I'm anybody, but it's because the scripture teaches that. And so I've chosen, these are my seven chapters. So as I think through the Bible, I want to be able to tell a story to a person. And I want to do that 
quickly. And I want to be able to understand God's plan and program. The seven chapters you choose should be personal. So that when you talk to somebody, you can think in your head, hey, I, I want to pick seven chapters. If you only could choose seven chapters from the Bible and communicate to somebody, proclaim to somebody, what seven chapters would you choose? You know, I asked this question just this past summer, and I, I outlined my seven chapters. These are personal. They're mine. I mean, it's from the Bible, but they're my seven chapters. A person came up to me and said, those aren't good chapters. <laughs> what do you mean they're not good chapters? The whole Bible's inspired. These are mine. No, 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 I have better ones. Great. Great. I'm going to share with you my seven chapters. But seriously, I'd like you to think maybe it involves your testimony. Maybe it involves... Uh, an issue that you've had in your walk with Christ. And these seven chapters, you only could pick seven. There's nothing unique about seven. Certainly, biblically, God created the heavens and the earth in six days. On the seventh, He rested. Seven is a number used in the Bible. But I've just chosen seven. And while I'm here through Wednesday, if you want, just come up and say, hey, these are the seven chapters that I've chosen. Well, thinking about proclaiming the good news, the gospel of His salvation from day to day, declare His glory. That's what we're concentrating on. That's what we're thinking about during these days. And now for a shameless plug. It is a shameless plug. Uh, Pastor mentioned... Israel, my glory. I specifically brought two issues of IMG, Israel, my glory, because of this conference. And this one, the power of the gospel. I encourage you, even if you have a magazine sent to you, I, I hope you do. If you don't, you can sign your name. By the way, again, check the tables out. Get your name on a list. It will expand your thinking, your understanding, and uh, knowledge of what God is doing around the world. But in this particular issue, I got a letter from my mother of a letter that I sent to my dad 20, over 25 years ago. It's a long story. It's The story is here. And I wrote my dad, who was not a believer. I'm trying to share the gospel with him. You know, just because we're called missionaries, you know, think, oh, we know what we're doing. We don't know what we're doing. Uh, we're the same as everybody else. We we have a passion and a love, and we're trying to communicate the truth, but we know that God's the only one that could do it. But anyway, I encourage you to read that letter because it exemplifies, again, what we're trying to do these days that we're here to proclaim the gospel. Well, what's my first chapter? My first chapter is found in Genesis chapter 3. Why did I pick Genesis chapter 3? Because it answers life's question. How did we get to be like this? How is it that things are the way they are? We have a Yiddish word, it's called meshugana, it means crazy. Mishigas means craziness. And I'm sure over the last two years, especially, 
it would it would go back way before that but we would say people are crazy and we're living in a Michigas world crazy world how did we get here Genesis chapter 3 Genesis chapter 3 answers that question how did we get into this mess well we know that there's a problem in Genesis chapter 3. Oh, first two chapters, no problem. Zero problem. God created the heavens and the earth. We're, we read about how he did it. He spoke the world into existence. Six days on the seventh day he rested. Everything was good. What God made is good. All that he made is good. Well, that isn't the way it is now. No, you have Genesis chapter you have man and woman. God is walking in the garden with them. Uh, they have fellowship with Him. And God says, don't do this. <laughs> like, we're like kids. You tell a child, don't do this. Don't say this. Don't do this. You can count on them doing it. God told Adam and Eve... Not to partake of the fruit. Eve took of the fruit. Adam was right next to her. Didn't argue, at least as recorded in Scripture, and he ate as well. And that's when trouble was unleashed. God is holy. We are no longer holy. God cannot have fellowship with us. And now man and woman are kicked out of the garden. It is bad news for man. Bad news. God is holy. We are not out of fellowship. Trouble. That's another Yiddish word. Surus. I'll be saying a few of these words. Culture. You need to learn culture. Surus. Trouble. But contained in the text... If you're there, I'm not there, but if you're there, contained in the midst of the trouble, Pastor talked about the difficulties over the last two weeks for him personally. And I, I can only imagine uh, the difficulty. And some of you who are online, some of you here, are going through difficulty. You want to know where death came from? The Garden of Eden. When man blew it. That's when it happened. All the hurt, the pain, the sickness, all that is found in the garden. It's true. It explains everything. But in the midst of all that service, all that trouble, and there is a lot of trouble, you have Genesis chapter uh, 3 and verse 15. And here's what it says. And I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. He shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Look, we have in the garden the serpent, the cunning serpent, uh, who goes to Eve and paints a picture and when I choose these seven and talk about them, I can't do a whole message on them. I, I encourage you uh, to read all of chapter 3 
and meditate on it. The, the, the play that uh, Satan does with Eve and then with Adam. The fall that takes place. And then the promise of a seed. And the next six, chapter, six chapters that I'm going to talk about trace this seed. So important to me personally and to you who've just taken communion. This promised seed is the one that is ultimately selected by God to be the one to redeem us. And wouldn't you know it, that He is God in the flesh. So, we have Genesis chapter 3, which answers the life question, how did we get into this mess? That's the first chapter I selected. Go forward to Genesis chapter 12. Remember the seed of the woman. Interesting, for 11 chapters in Genesis, God is giving us the history of the world, the creation, all the things that happen, the Tower of Babel, all these different things that happen. He's giving us a world view and takes 11 chapters. Starting in Genesis chapter 12 and going all the way to Genesis 50, He's going to choose one man, develop one family, which will extend to ultimately, by the time we get to Genesis chapter 50, there's 12 sons of Israel, of Jacob, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So in Genesis chapter 3, we have the hope within the midst of all the trouble. We have the hope. The seed of the woman is going to come. Eve thought she would be the one to have that seed. She thought it was her. Genesis chapter 12, God chooses a man who's 75 years old. You know, when I first read this, I was 22 years old when I came to Christ, and I knew the story already of Abraham. But i got to tell you, when I first read it, in fact, I remember being in Hebrew school translating the Hebrew with, you know, Jewish people invented the study Bible. I don't know if you know that or not. You think it was Schofield? You think it was Ryrie, MacArthur? No. We have what's called a Chumash. Chumash is uh, the Torah in Hebrew, and Rashi, a rabbi, writes a commentary. And we were translating that years ago, uh, way before Schofield even was born. So, God chooses a person a 75-year-old man who comes from the Ur of Chaldees and is called by God. The reason I chose this chapter is a number of reasons, one of which was out of all the people, God chose one person. I want you to know, as you're in this conference, God chose you. Of all the people in the world, God chose you. In fact, the Bible says before the foundation of the earth. Now, did he choose Abraham because he was good looking? Did he choose him because he was strong and powerful? God chooses whom he chooses for whatever purpose. I've told this 
church before. If this is new to me, uh, you already know I graduate. You, you might not know I graduated in the top 10% of the lower third of my class. I'm not proud of it, but it's true. So wait a minute. He's, I'm Jewish. Certainly, a lot of Jewish people. Hey, they go to Harvard, Yale, Princeton. They all the Nobel prizes. I, yeah, he chose me. He didn't choose me because I'm good looking. That's apparent. He he didn't choose me because I'm smart. I just confessed. He chose me because he chose me. One of my verses that I use a lot that I consider kind of a life's verse is God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And might I say God chose you. Now, I know I have a few more days here, but let me just say, I've said it before, I'm looking at you now, and I can tell you he can find better looking people than you. He could. Don't know your grades or where you ranked in your class, he can find smarter people. He can. But he chose you, which makes you special. He chose Abraham. And we're not told how God got a hold of Abraham. He spoke to him. How was that? A dream? Was it a, 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 a vision? How did God speak to him? I don't know. But I do know when he did, Abraham went. I encourage you to talk to the missionaries who are standing by their table. Ask them, what made you decide to do this? Did anybody give you trouble when you were thinking about it, you'd be surprised at pushback. When God calls somebody, other people around don't hear him. It's a personal thing. And as we proclaim the gospel, there are people, you probably heard this before, but it's true, there are people you can reach, you can talk to, that no one else will talk to. Are you ready for that? Abraham, we're told after God talked to him, he went. He left. He left everything he knew as a 75-year-old man. I told you when I was young and first introduced to Abraham, 75 seems so old to me. Now it seems uh, I'm not there yet. But oh boy, can I see it. Real clear. Real clear. 75, man, that's a, that's a good portion of your life. And he hadn't even started his mission. He was going to be the father of a child. And he and Sarah hadn't had any kids. God accomplished his purpose, which, by the way, is a land, a seed, and a blessing for Abraham's descendants. It is Abraham who is the father of the Jewish people. Oh, but you say, wait, I'm a Christian. I've heard it. I've studied Abraham. He, we call him the father of our faith. Hebrews chapter 11. It's true. God promised that his name would be a blessing. In fact, Muslims believe that Abraham is the father of their faith. Just as God said, your name will be great. So, Trouble, a promise, 
God dealing with one family. As He dealt with the world, we're now going to read about one family. I'd like you to move on to my third third chapter that I selected is Second Samuel chapter seven. Second Samuel chapter seven. This is a covenant, Abraham covenant. Genesis chapter twelve promises a land, a seed, and a blessing. So Abraham's covenant, God's covenant promise with him, is then played out in other as you progress through the text. And in Second Samuel. We have the king and the kingdom. David wanted to build a place for God to dwell. That's what happens in Second Samuel chapter 7. He uh, had this desire. It's a good desire. He built his own house. You know, king has a nice house. He wanted one for God. After all, God was the one that put him there to begin with. He was a friend of God. He had a close relationship to God. David and and God, uh, they were close. But he couldn't build a place for God because he had blood on his hands. And so 2 Samuel tells us that David had a proposal in the first two verses. Let me read those. And it came to pass when the king sat in his house and the Lord had given him rest about from all his enemies. The king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in curtains, with curtains. He wanted to build a house. Well, drop down to verse 12. And when the days were fulfilled, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. I'll set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thine own body. And I will establish his kingdom. This is God promising the seed of David to have a kingdom. Well, we know Solomon came after, but the text here goes way beyond Solomon. Solomon would build the house. I will be his father, he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thy house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. So we have trouble in Genesis chapter 3. It explains everything. Everything. Trouble. A promise. Oh, what a promise. The seed of the woman. We have Abraham, selected by God, who went by faith, where God told him to go, leaving, forsaking everything he knew, and following by faith God. The land, the seed, and the blessing. We have David, who becomes king. What a There's so much in just the story of David. But in that, we have a future king who will come from the loins of David and will rule forever. For eternity. Forever. This is the seed spoken about in Genesis 3. And now we know it places an understanding that the mess that we're in is not always going to be here. It's not always going to be here. By the way, it's been two days since Christ was here. Two days. Oh, you say, what What are you talking about? Well, 
Days as a thousand years, thousand years as a day. It's been a couple days. Two thousand years ago, Christ was here, and he's only been gone a couple days. We want him to be back now. Why isn't he back? Why hasn't he called the church to meet him in the air? Well, the last person, I don't know who that will be, will say yes to the gospel. And until that time, we're to be about our Father's business. So, there's a king and a kingdom. Now I'd like you to turn to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53. Oh yeah, Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, I have met, it's been a privilege to meet through the years of ministry, uh, meet Jewish believers. I, I'm, I'm a Jewish believer, I've met other ones, uh, and every single one I've met has within their testimony... Isaiah chapter 53. By the way, testimony. I cannot tell. When I first got saved and went to a, a church, uh, they had testimony Sunday night. Sunday night testimony. It was, I thought this was so amazing. We don't, we don't share our testimonies often enough as far as I'm concerned. You have a story. I want you to develop a story from seven chapters. Your own story. Personal story. How God dealt with you or why those seven chapters you chose. But in this story, Isaiah chapter 53, I remember reading it. Uh, we don't read it publicly in synagogue. It's not a chapter that's read. There's numbers of chapters that aren't read, but this one particularly is, is an interesting one that is not read. I didn't know about it until I was 22 years old. The first person to share it with me was my sister, and she brought it to me from our own synagogue-sanctioned Bible. We, we got a Bible from our synagogue. Each youngster got one at a certain age. And there it is. You know, I've taken Isaiah chapter 53, removed the header, Isaiah, removed the verses, and just have the chapter. And have shown it to people, Gentiles and Jewish people. And I ask this, what's your opinion? Just who who's this talking about? Do you have any, have you ever read it before? I cannot tell you how many people have told me, oh, this is from the New Testament. You read it. It, sound, it sounds, excuse my expression, another Yiddish word, sounds like a Goyesha Bible text. Goyesha means Gentile. This is what the Gentiles believe. No. It's the prophet Isaiah. It's, he was wounded for our transgressions. He, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. I read that for the first time. I said, this is Jesus. What's he doing in this text? And I'm telling you that if you give it to somebody who's unfamiliar with the Bible, just share it with them and ask their opinion. Most people are happy to give you opinions. Oh, we're living in a day that everybody's got an opinion, right? Isaiah chapter 53, 
gives me oomph from Genesis chapter 3. The promised seed. God working with the family who's through his faith and through his seed, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. The fourth son is Judah. David comes from Judah. God gives a promise to David there will be a greater son. There will be a king and a kingdom forever. And then we come to the prophet Isaiah and he dies. This promised seed, this special person, this Messiah, Mashiach, the Christ. You know, when you hear vernacular on the streets, how often have you heard that name and title? Jesus Christ. You know, I grew up in an Orthodox home, but I, and I've told this story, but I know there's new people. My father would open a bill from my, that would come to the house, and my mother charged something at the store. He'd open it up, and he would say that name. Who did this? How much did you spend? But his last name is not Christ. It's not, you know, the Christ family who lives down the street. He is Yeshua, Joshua, salvation, Messiah, Christos, Mashiach. And when we look at Isaiah chapter 53, we're seeing that this promised seed is going to be bruised and beaten, but not for himself. It's in the Older Testament text. It is so clear, 750 years before the babe is born in Bethlehem. And the description is spot on. Absolutely crystal clear. So crystal clear that even a guy who is in the lower third of his class, not a top 10%, but the lower third, can get it. Okay, after Isaiah chapter 53, I'd like you to turn to the New Testament, because the chapter that I selected is from the Gospel of John, and John chapter 1. Now, John chapter, I selected John chapter 1 because I believe John chapter 1 answers the questions that philosophers have. Philosophers. You know, there is a word amongst uh, scholars, rabbis, uh, through the years, and the word is memra, M-E-M-R-A. And John writes about logos. It's very interesting that the Aramaic texts, uh, and look, it sounds sophisticated what I'm telling you, I don't read Aramaic. I can read about what they do. So I, I, I don't want you to think, oh, this guy, he's... What I'm telling you is it's, it's where I can get the cookies. It's not up here. It's down here. So pay it, don't be intimidated. Memra is an Aramaic word that the rabbis used at a time when the Jewish people weren't that familiar with Hebrew. 
Now, there's been several times, including modern uh, Judaism, but especially during the Babylonian captivity and other times, so they used Aramaic, a very common language. And they inserted this word memra as an explanation when God's action, his, the, the things he was doing, were difficult to understand. There had to be an agent by which God used it. And so they inserted this word memra. And there's all kinds of verses that can be seen in the Aramaic where this insertion, kind of like in some of our translation where there's italics, the translators do that for our benefit to try to make the text, to clarify it. And that's what these scholars did using Aramaic. And so now fast forward, John the Apostle John, is writing about, in John chapter 1, he's writing about broad, it's a broad perspective. What's it say in John chapter 1? At the very beginning, it starts off by saying, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos. John had a, at least an understanding of the word memra. It was in uh, the Targum texts, and we've actually archaeologists have found some of these texts, and the texts are preserved. And he's saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Remember, the Apostle Paul was addressing a crowd, and before he did, he saw all kinds of statues attributed to different gods, and he was trying to proclaim the invisible God. Here in John chapter 1, the Logos. The Logos, during a time of Greek philosophy, the Logos was regarded as the force that was able to accomplish amazing things. It was given the label Logos. So when John's writing in John chapter 1, He's writing from a Jewish perspective that brings in this word memra, a word inserted by Jews themselves in order to explain the agent by which God used to accomplish mighty things and amazing things such as creation and others. And then we have John using this word logos. Logos, that's, that's a word that the unbelievers, the, the Gentiles, the pagans, they... Oh, they, they were philosophizing, and Logos was this word. And so John now is going to bring the Jewish reader and the Gentile reader into one text because the two words correlate together. So in John chapter 1, he writes, In the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, he doesn't say that, but in the beginning, you want to know about the beginning? There was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was the beginning with God. And all things were made by Him. So this Logos is the source of all things. That's what the Gentiles believe. They believe that. And so he goes on, In Him was life, and the light was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness overcame it. And then he goes on to talk, but I drop down to verse 14. 
Here is the boom in chapter 1. Here is bringing together the two minds, Jew and Gentile together, in verse 14, and the Word, the Logos, was made flesh. Was made flesh and dwelt among us. I chose this chapter as part of the progression of God, for me at least, to understand the need and the desire to reach out to Jew and to Gentile alike with the Logos, the Memra, as an explanation for why we are where we are today. Do you know you have the answer? We have people who are frightened to death of a virus. I'm not here to politicize it. There's cancer. Are we as frightened? There's all kinds of things out there. Look, take every precaution you need. And you people online, I'm right with you. I understand. That's not what I'm talking about. But if you think for a moment that this disease is somehow different than all the other things out there, you're nuts. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm confessing. I am sorry. I don't want, I don't want to, to express it in a wrong way. Look, we're immortal until God calls us home. I just heard a story uh, of Frank and what happened surrounding his home going. I, you can't make this stuff up, but God knows. We, we have divine appointments. I believe that. And no matter what you think you're going to do to prevent that, well, it's just not going to happen. So, yes, take care of ourselves. We should absolutely take care of ourselves. And, you know, get a vax, don't get a vax, take ivermectin, stay at home, all that's fine. Don't be afraid. That's all I'm saying. We are more than conquerors who, for, we are more than conquerors to Him who loved us. Don't be afraid. I, I oversee the work in Canada and that there is a difference between, I don't know if there's any Canadians listening, the difference between a Canadian and an American. And what, at overseeing the work, we were praying across the country. For, we had Canadian prayer of our constituents. And they were afraid. They said, we're afraid. Don't be afraid. Precautions, yes, but don't be afraid. There's no reason to be afraid. Look, John gives us an understanding that the Logos made flesh, dwelt among us. We beheld His glory. John saw Jesus unzip His glory. He metamorphosized in front of Him. Paul, I mean, uh, John... Uh, and Peter were in front, Peter, James, and John were in front of Jesus, and there he is in all his glory. And I know I preached that message here from Matthew, and Peter put his foot in his mouth and said, hey, it's good to be here. Are you kidding me? You've just seen the glory of God. The glory, the tabernacle, it, he was shining, he was lit up like a Christmas tree, and Peter said, hey man, it's pretty good to be here. 
And he was still speaking. And the text tells us when you read that God, in essence, told him to shut up. He didn't use that language. But he said, pay attention to my son here. This is John writing in the first chapter. And he's saying, the Word became flesh. That seed promised in Genesis is made flesh and dwelt among us. But He's the Logos, the Creator, the Sustainer. He's, he's all that. And there He is. So I chose John chapter 1. And then go to the last book. I chose two chapters. Two chapters. Uh, so I'm anxious to, I hope you, look, I know I didn't like homework. That's how I graduated in the top 10% of the lower third of my class. I didn't like homework. But I hope you'll do this homework. I hope to, between uh, now and Wednesday, I would love for you to comment to me and share what chapters you chose. They're your chapters. And I will not say those are bad choices. Whatever you choose, they're yours. And they might tell a story. And that story might be used by you once you think it through with somebody else to proclaim the good news. But my chapter that I chose as a sixth is Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. Look, I don't mind telling you that um, when the commissioner of baseball, I'm a baseball fan, when the commissioner of baseball took the All-Star game away from Atlanta, I, I was not happy. The reason I like baseball and football, all of them, is because I don't have to think about all that stuff going on. You could sit next to, when I was growing up at least, you could sit next to somebody who was rooting for your team. You didn't ask them what, what their politics was, what their religion was. You're just, we're, we want to win. That's, we were united in wanting our team to win. And so when they moved the All-Star game to uh, Denver, I, I, just, I just didn't get it. But finally... If I, I can use the expression, you can edit it out, Pastor. The baseball gods got together, and the World Series took place in Atlanta, Georgia. I was pretty happy about that. My only bad thing was that the commissioner did it in Houston. They lost that third game. I thought they were going to sweep, and he would have had it presented in, in Atlanta. Look, Revelation chapter 19 gives us the victory. It's that seed, the one that is going to be bruised and beaten, the one that was promised, the one that would be the king, the one that would set up his kingdom. But it seemed like he'd be defeated. He was bruised and beaten. And yet John tells us, Look, he's, he's the answer to you Jews, and he's the answer to you Gentiles. He is the Memra and the Logos. And in Revelation chapter 19, he's coming back. He rose from the dead, yes. That's not one of my chapters. It might be one of yours. But he's coming back in power and authority. And he's coming back, not to Huntsville, Alabama. 
You're not coming here. In fact, no, no city in the U.S. or North America. You're not going to Rome or Paris. He's coming back to his home country, to Israel, where his feet will touch down in the Mount of Olives. And Revelation chapter 19 tells us, first there's worship in heaven. There is this heavenly worship, and I believe at the rapture we'll be part of that before he comes, seven, at least seven years before he comes back. There's worship in heaven, and then there's the wrath of the Almighty God. Wrath! Wrath. Yes, God is going to unleash His wrath. Do you know, if somebody commits a crime and there is no punishment, that is injustice. How often have you heard there is no justice today? That there, it's unfair. Life is unfair. It's just the way it is. Is it always going to be this way? No. All the things that people thought they were getting away with, they'll find out they weren't. In fact, I'm here to tell you there's generations of people separated from God know who get it now, who understand uh, they blew it when they had a chance. But I am telling you, Revelation chapter 19, God unleashes His wrath in order to take His people who called chosen people, the Jewish people were God's chosen, and they said, ah, not so much. We wrote the book on sin. We wrote the book. We are stiff-necked and hard-hearted. God always has had a remnant of us from the beginning. But generally speaking, when Jesus Christ came, we said thanks, but no thanks. But God is faithful to that promise He gave to Abraham. Promise of a land, a seed, and a blessing. So, Revelation chapter 19, he pours out his wrath in order for his people to confess to him and receive him. And then my last chapter that I've chosen is from Revelation chapter 21. The overcomers. The overcomers of Revelation chapter 21. A new heaven and a new earth. In verse 3, I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. In verse 4, And God shall wipe away tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, sorrow, crying, pain. The former things are passed away. Look, I chose these seven chapters. They're the ones I personally chose them. They, at least for me, internalize the proclamation of the gospel to myself and what I hope to be able to proclaim to others. There are so many other wonderful chapters and you might have not one that I selected. In Yiddish I'd say, Zygazun, live and be well. Pick what you think is important. The idea is we need to proclaim the message and we need to be comfortable in doing it. So pick these Cleave unto them. I bet you some of you already have them picked in your head because you've been living a Christian life, walking with the Lord. You already have your story. Now you can map it out. But remember, at least in my frame, 
you got only seven. It's tough. It's not easy. But I hope you'll do it. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I I think of people who are without Jesus Christ. And I think of them in almost every situation of my life. We see them in restaurants. We, We bang into them at grocery stores. We have neighbors. We have co-workers. We have all kinds of situations where we rub shoulders with those who don't know the gospel. Father, you've selected us. We do know the gospel. And I pray, Lord, for the folks here that they would take up the challenge and think through their walk with you and choose seven chapters that kind of tell their story, whatever their story is, and be able to articulate it so that when they have opportunity, the Spirit of God will use this little lesson and they'll be able to share it smoothly, quickly, and with passion. Lord, I pray for the other co-workers who are with me here these days, that many folks will come visit them, challenge them, and ask them how they got to be where they were and, and be able to tell their story afresh, not just up here in front on the stage, but personally, one-on-one with folks who are interested. Lord, You're a great God. We're, we're sinners saved by grace, wanting to serve You because we love You. In Jesus' name, Amen.